This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, the Canada Disability Benefit continues to make its way through the halls of Parliament. Megan Gilmore has an update. And the Ontario Parasport Games took place this past weekend in Whitby. His coverage, that and so much more, coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours, including the news quiz. Another piece of fresh blood joining the news quiz to wrap up the show on a Tuesday. So lots coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours, beginning with the top story of the day. And guess what? It's healthcare. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is sitting down with all the premiers in Ottawa today. The Prime Minister is expected to present an offer to settle a dispute over healthcare funding. Manitoba Premier Heather Stevenson says the premiers have no idea what's going to be presented. Until we actually sit down and, and have and be able to see that proposal tomorrow, it's very difficult to make a comment on, on something that we haven't seen. Nova Scotia Premier Tim Houston is eager to see what the federal government has in mind. The meeting's kind of been a long time in the making, so now that it's happening, we're, we're happy that the meeting is taking place, and we're just optimistic and looking forward to see what the, what the federal government has, has to offer to the provinces. Nunavut Premier PJ Agakak says no matter what the offer is, the premiers will still need time to assess. I think we're all anticipating uh, seeing the, the, the offer as well, uh, and then we'll assess the, the offer as it's being presented as well. A senior government official says Trudeau will lay out a 10-year deal that will top up the annual health transfer. Ottawa will also offer one-on-one deals with conditions attached. Looking abroad, the death toll continues to mount from the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Charles de Ledesma has the latest. Turkey's Vice President Fuat Oktay tells the media in Ankara that so far we have lost 3,419 fellow citizens and we have 20,534 wounded. We have extracted more than 8,000 people from the rubble, while 5,775 buildings have collapsed. There have been 312 aftershocks. The death toll is expected to rise as rescuers in both Turkey and Syria work in the cold and snow, searching for trapped people in the rubble of toppled buildings. I'm Charles de Ledesma. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says that Canada is ready to offer assistance to Turkey and Syria. Our hearts go out to the families, the communities deeply affected by this terrible, terrible event. Uh, Canada is looking at how we can help directly and immediately, but also how we can work with the international community uh, to be there for people who are suffering right now in the immediate and for the long term. And one more piece of federal news for you. The federal government is launching a five-year, $46 million program to understand and protect the oceans that surround Canada. Data gathered about everything from ocean currents to the state of the deep ocean will be used for scientific research, government decision-making, and to support ocean industries. Fisheries Minister Joyce Murray laid out the importance of this program. 
It's imperative that Canada better understand our oceans in terms of how they're changing, how we can support their ecosystems, and how we can sustainably manage resources. The funds will come from the government's $3.5 billion Ocean Protection Plan. That's your look at the news. It's that time of the show when you get the daily polls, beginning with yesterday's question, which was asked to you at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Do you get annoyed when stores lock away everyday items? 54% of you said yes, 14% of you said no, and 32% of you said, ah, I haven't noticed that. Miss Cantora tweets in at Accessible Media, Yes, it's so annoying, especially when you work there. I was a beauty consultant for Walgreens for a while, and people would just press the button sometimes when they didn't need anything. Or I'd be in the middle of doing makeup and would have to stop to unlock the box, which was very annoying. Terry tweets in, only when there is not actually anyone there to get them out. Theft costs us all. Thank you to Terry and Miss Cantora for chiming in at Accessible Media on Twitter. You should do the same. Don't just vote. You should chime in in the comment section or replying to the tweets or, hey, retweet with comment. That's how you can really get in the mix. Today's daily poll requires a little bit of setup, although it's kind of self-explanatory, but why not find out about a new poll that suggests the majority of Canadians still see the United States as the country's closest ally? John Kennedy takes a closer look. The online survey by Leger and the Association for Canadian Studies found 69% of respondents still see the U.S. as Canada's best friend, while 31% said they disagree or don't know. Canadians seem more divided. However, whether the U.S. is a positive influence on international affairs, 41% of respondents disagreed with that statement, compared with 38% who said they still believe it's true. The survey comes as U.S. President Joe Biden prepares to deliver tonight's State of the Union speech, his second since being sworn in as president in 2021. John Kennedy, The Canadian Press. It does seem fairly obvious that people would consider the U.S. to be Canada's closest ally. Geographically, certainly we're the closest, the largest unprotected border in the world, the trade relationship that exists, and also a lot of cultural back and forth. A lot of what occurs culturally in, in the U.S. tends to impact the Canadian experience as well. There's certainly something shared that goes on there. But as you think a little bit deeper onto that question in terms of Canadian allies. Let's play a little bit of international relations Tinder today. Let's swipe left and right at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Beyond the United States, what country should Canada develop a closer relationship with? I've got a couple options for you here, but certainly you're able to go off the board and get involved in the comment section or reply to the tweet. So the options that I've got for you, England, Australia, India, or I put other, in case you do want to vote other. I didn't want to totally box you in with your options this morning. Certainly, the colonial relationship with England makes some sense, as we're still certainly connected to the monarchy. Australia has a lot of shared values as a former colony, as a place that is sort of large, but not densely populated, but has its own interesting concerns. India is going to be one of the world's largest economies in about a decade or two so India would make some sense from an economic point of view also what about something warm there was a lot of talk about 20 years ago in terms of Canada developing a relationship with Turks and Caicos to become a protectorate or maybe even take it in as a territory that would be interesting maybe somewhere warm would be really nice in these cold winter months so there are all kinds of options on the table for you even places like Ireland 
France. There would be a lot of cultural history that connects countries like that to Canada, even a place like Italy or Greece, right? There are all these countries that Canada has a relationship with where there is a large diaspora, so it makes sense to have these connections. Alex Smythe, if we were to play Tinder with international relations, who should Canada swipe right on? You kind of laid it out well, Dave, that each one of these uh, countries listed have something going for them. England, there's a long history, obviously, through the colonial past with uh, uh, the English basically establishing uh, what was uh, Canada prior to Canada. And and then um, we still uh, celebrate and support the monarchy. Australia, you, you laid it out, like, there's a lot of shared values there. There's a lot of... Um, similar ideologies, uh, similar kind of, I guess, viewpoints on how to deal with the the global stage. India, you, you mentioned it, I mean, when it comes to developing um, a closer relationship for trade, that would be very valuable, plus manufacturing. And if we're talking like, you know, developing a market relationship or uh, possibly a stronger trade relationship and, and uh, free trade agreements, India would certainly be the place to go. If, if I had to choose another, I, I would look at a, a place, you, you mentioned France, but also Germany, somewhere where there's a lot of shared values, shared ideologies, but also there is um, multifaceted uh, uh opportunities for us to develop a stronger relationship, whether it's being trade partners, being um, being able to access each other's, uh, you know, natural resources, uh, strategic partners and military uh, situations. I think there's a lot of value in those two countries. So I, I would probably, if I had to choose one, I would probably go with Germany because I feel we have slightly better relationship with France or a closer relationship with France right now. So I'd like to build up Germany a bit more, but certainly down the line, I think it's important to establish a, a stronger relationship with India as well, because you talked about it. They're going to be the, the biggest economy in the world. And I think establishing that strong uh, trade uh, agreement with them is certainly going to benefit both countries down you, the line. You did something interesting there in terms of contemplating relationships with Western Europe or European more generally. I thought about in the framing of this question saying country or region and considered putting Europe as one large region. Certainly the Harper government did strike a free trade deal that hasn't all the way come into fruition since the Harper government struck that deal along with Europe, but I, but I do wonder if there's something that could be done done with the EU that would allow more free movement of people or goods to places in Europe. There are a lot of places, there are a lot of countries that, again, that have a strong Canadian diaspora and a strong Canadian connection that makes sense to me. I would also say that off my list, there's a bit of a myopia here. Certainly, I've left out Latin America completely. Uh, places like Brazil would be a monstrous economy. Even developing a closer relationship with Mexico, even though we're already part of the Uzmeca deal, there would be something to that or being more tied into the Caribbean. There's a lot of things that Canada could do in terms of strengthening relationships fairly close to us rather than all the way across the Pacific or the Atlantic Ocean. But yeah, there's, there's just, you have to think about about what the net benefit would be, whether it mm -hmm. be in terms of trade or whether it be in terms of a cultural exchange. I think the idea of some free labor movement moving across the Atlantic Ocean or even two places like Australia or New Zealand would be pretty darn cool. I think if you gave Canadians the option to more liberally go to places like New Zealand or Australia and set up shop there, there would probably be some interest in doing so. 
Absolutely. And I think there there's certainly room to grow that relationship. I, I think those two countries, Australia, New Zealand, we are very similar, very culturally aligned. Our values are fairly similar, but there isn't really a long history of a, a type on in terms of a relationship, just based on where our priorities have been. Otherwise, you mentioned Europe, you mentioned the US because those were geographically, they were closer, you know, they, they were more enticing in terms of what they really offered. But I, I think in the world of international geopolitics, uh, it makes sense to establish stronger relationships around the world and look at maybe smaller e economies, smaller countries as opportunities to develop great relationships in other areas of the world. So uh, obviously, Australia, New Zealand, I think would would be great. And New Zealand has really grown their profile over the past decade or so. Australia has always been seen on the global stage. And, and we we have already some relationships with them. Obviously, we're both members of like the Five Eyes and other uh, kind of strategic agreements and, mm -hmm. and partnerships. Mm -hmm. So why don't we expand it a bit more and, and see how we can both grow and, and support each other going forward. Yeah, or just get somewhere warm to go in the winter and just go talk to a Caribbean <laughs> island and develop a relationship there and be like, make it really easy go. for us to travel there. Alex, there thank you, you for this. We're talking to you in the next segment. Don't go too far. In fact, you're going to be sharing the weather in a moment, so especially don't go too far. At Accessible Media is where you find the show on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find the show on Facebook. Once again, here's Alex Smythe with the National Weather Updates. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where there's snow and blowing snow this morning, and then it will become cloudy in the afternoon. There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 5, feeling like minus 13. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's cloudy with a chance of snow this morning, then it's clearing up in the afternoon. There's wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour in some spots. The high is zero but feeling like minus 13 with that wind chill. In Montreal, Quebec, it is mainly sunny this morning, then light snow in the afternoon. The high is zero, but with that wind chill, it makes it feel like minus 19. In Ottawa, Ontario, it's mainly sunny this morning and then snow this afternoon with up to two centimeters expected to fall. The high is minus one, but with that wind chill again, it's quite cold feeling like minus 22. Here in Toronto, Ontario, there's rain off and on today, wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and a high of five degrees. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, there's snow or possible freezing rain this morning, and then it's gonna be coming uh, a cloudy with a chance of more snow in the afternoon. There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high today is minus one, feeling like minus 12. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds later, the highest minus one, feeling like minus 20 without wind chill. Over to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, where it's mainly sunny today in a high of three degrees and feeling like minus nine without wind chill. In Calgary, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds. There is wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, but the high is eight degrees. In Edmonton, Alberta, it is a mix of sun and clouds today with a chance of snow or possible rain this afternoon. The high is six, but with the wind chill, it currently feels about minus seven. In Yellowknife Northwest Territories, there's snow off and on today. The high is minus 18, with the wind chill makes it feel like minus 27. 
in Vancouver, BC. There's heavy rain off and on today, and there is a chance for thunderstorms. There's up to 40 millimeters of rain expected to fall today. The high is eight degrees, and there is obviously a rainfall warning in effect due to the heavy rains that they're getting. And finally, in Victoria, BC, there's rain this morning, but then it's becoming a mix of sun and clouds later in the day. The high is eight degrees. And that's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Don't go too far because after the break, you're going to share some coverage of the Parasport Games that took place in Whitby, Ontario over the weekend. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The 2023 Ontario Parasport Games took place over the weekend all over the Durham region. Alex Smythe was at the Ability Centre in Whitby and has some notes to share from his coverage. Hey, Alex, how's it going? Yeah, it's going well, Dave. You know, it was a, a fun uh, uh, chance to get out there to kind of cover some of the the activities that were happening speak to some of the the key folks in charge and uh, as well as uh, uh some of the people participating in the in the games this weekend so it was a lot of fun what was your impression of the ability center uh, yeah it was really phenomenal i it was funny because when i was there i always thought to myself it's like i swore i would have been here before at some point and i was kind of thinking back and realized for whatever uh, reason it was like a matter of coincidence that I had never visited the ability center before even though my uh, team in, uh, when I was working on ATW or level playing field they had been there multiple times but for whatever reason I had missed it every single time so I was blown away it's a beautiful facility fully accessible offering so many different spaces for adaptive and accessible sports to take place. It was really, really impressive. You had a chance to speak with organizers and athletes. You interviewed one of them live on air last Friday. Who else are you going to be sharing interviews with? Uh, yeah, so uh, today we're going to be uh, sharing a clip from my interview with James Tipmarsh, who is the sporting uh, co-chair, uh, sport technical chair, sorry, um, who is kind of overseeing the actual sports aspects of the Ontario Parasport Games. But later on the week, we uh, will also be uh, sharing interviews from a uh, Paris ice hockey uh, player, Matt Miller, and then also co-chair Mike uh, Frogley, who kind of expanded on different aspects of the uh, the the kind of the preparation of the games and the impact that the games really share. But with uh, our interview with James today, it's really about kind of talking on the sports and kind of how important it is to offer up a diversity of, of sports and provide the opportunity for athletes to come out and really compete at a level that many of them haven't been able to compete at before. So this weekend, you are the sport technical chair. What does that title kind of entail and what's the responsibilities you have this weekend? So the lead up uh, required me to meet with all of the sports and their PSOs, provincial sport organizations, um, to get the technical documents and the requirements of the game set up, 
during the weekend, my role is kind of just floating around, looking at all the sports, keeping an eye on, on making sure there's, we have all the volunteers, we have the food services set up, things like that, and just kind of helping out the PSOs where required. But otherwise, it's a it's pretty easy uh, job for the weekend of just being able to watch all the sports. And what are you most looking forward to this weekend? There's so many different sports going on. You got some uh, test sports that are, are taking place. You you have a bunch of different competitions in a bunch of different venues. So what what kind of jumps out to you? Well, my background is sledge hockey, so I always love to watch the sledge hockey. Um, I'm looking forward to the wheelchair basketball. This year we have the Ontario Junior team coming out to participate, and that's pretty cool. They're getting set up for the Canada Games in a couple weeks, so they're going to be kind of rolling really well. Um, sitting volleyball, we have over... 30 to 40 athletes coming out so that's pretty awesome that'll be at the ability center and then hopefully to be able to check out some of the curling some of the skiing it really just depends weather dependent obviously that i'll be able to kind of hit them all can you talk a bit about the role that the ontario parasport games plays for athletes and and teams especially on the provincial side like how is it serving a, a purpose to not only uh, give an opportunity to athletes who deserve a chance to compete on the provincial level, but maybe serve as a platform for athletes who may want to try to catch the attention of some more national teams and coaches and competitors. Yeah, so for a lot of these athletes, this is their Paralympics or their Olympics. This is the highest form of, of competition that they'll be able to attend. And for Ontario to be putting these on is, is huge for the athletes. Um, we don't get that opportunity a lot for a lot of these athletes and to be able to have a a large event where they could see multiple sports compete in their own sports almost have an athlete's village have an opening ceremonies like for i mean i've been a part of these games since 2008 and being able to see how it's grown how it's included more sports and how it's evolved has been unbelievable what's been the biggest change that you've noticed since you started being involved in the Ontario Parasport Games this year? Athlete participation. It's growing phenomenal. I think uh, coming out of COVID, we were very concerned what our numbers would look like, and it's done very well. Um, it's not exactly where maybe we had hoped pre-2019. 2019, we were at a really, really good number as well, but it's coming back and knowing that sports coming back for a lot of these athletes with disabilities and whatnot coming back to sport gives them that chance to be free again and, and jump into their athletics and and not necessarily worry about everything else going on behind the scenes they can just compete why did whitby make sense for having the games here this year the volunteers that they're the reason that we could do it they're the reason that we were able to put the bid in without support um, these games wouldn't be hosted. Uh, we have over 300 volunteers throughout the whole weekend. We have donations from uh, all over Rotary Clubs, co uh, corporations, Ability Center donating their time. Like, without those support, these games don't happen. And that's where, you know, we lean on them really hard. But we appreciate the work that they put in and the athletes do as well. Can you talk a bit about how this competition compares to kind of more the, the local club level competitions, because you're, you're a member of a local sledge hockey team. How is coming to these games different? Um, it, it gives you a chance to feel like it's more professional. It give, gives that professional feel. So we'll have, like for example, with sledge hockey, we have the three referee system where it's a more professional atmosphere. We have the um, announcing of goals. We'll have anthems. We had Spot the dog do the ceremonial puck drop. As I said, with wheelchair basketball, they have the Ontario Games team coming. So some of these athletes will 
have never had a chance to play against this high level of competition. So for them, that's a chance for them to see where they can reach to and what they can work on. And for some of the, the athletes out of the Ability Center, it's brand new to them because that wheelchair basketball program out of the Ability Center uh, running by Mike Frogley is brand new. So he's able to take those athletes and show them where they can get to, what kind of uh, heights they can reach. And you, you never know, maybe somebody on the junior national team is watching, a scout or something, and sees somebody on the Ability Center team that goes, i got to keep an eye on that one. And you mentioned earlier that you work with the uh, provincial sport organizations. And what does it mean to bring in these these trial sports, these games that may not have gotten the, um, I guess, the, the attention or, or the exposure before? That now, okay, you're trying it out at these games. It's a great opportunity to grow the sport and the awareness around that sport. For sure. And it allows our local area to... Um to have them involved and, and create a program in Whitby, in Durham, which is awesome because without that, they had never used that before. Um, otherwise, like, yeah, for some of the PSOs traveling around Ontario, they might not even know some of the facilities that we have in Whitby. So they get to visit Billy Center for the first time. They get to visit Airquois Park. They get to see Durham College and, and the, the work they put in. And it's, it's pretty unbelievable. And so for the demo sports to be starting, in a couple of years, maybe we're talking about para-equestrian as the next big sport, or maybe we're talking about power chair hockey. Like, that's the excitement we're trying to build. For maybe a fan or someone at home who kind of sees all the attention, sees all the great athletes competing this weekend, and they kind of start to think to themselves, okay, I, I want to give it a try. Why should someone get involved in para-sport, and where can they go to find out more? So you can visit our website at uh, durhamparasports2023.ca um, and to help support, like I'll take my example from the Steelhawks, we're always looking for volunteers um, because the volunteers and the able-bodied athletes is what helps support the, the the physical disability athletes that are, you know, help them into a sled or help them carry sleds or carry hockey bags. We know that stuff can be heavy, can be cumbersome with the volunteers and the support that's how we keep the program running and that's how we keep growing and that's how we expand and get more athletes and, and more people in sport because there's a lot of families um, that'll go to a grand view or go to an ability center and won't know about any of these sports around so with the parasport games and and the be the roar and things like that they can find out about this and 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 go oh my son or daughter could play this because i saw that during that weekend perfect thank you so much for your time and chatting with me today of course anytime thank you Alex, you heard uh, James mention the robot, uh, robot dog named Spot. Yep. Uh, what was the significance of Spot? Significance of Spot being there, and what did Spot look like? Yeah, so I'll, I'll first I'll, uh, start with the description of Spot for someone who who uh, doesn't know. So Spot is this four-legged, um, just metallic-looking kind of device it it's they call it a, a robot dog or a a dog but really it's a kind of uh silver cylinder uh held up on four legs and it kind of walks and maneuvers itself sort of similar to what a dog or another animal would um in its front it, it's literally just a flat black um screen that's where the sensors and everything are the legs and elbows are kind of bent towards the back so it kind of has a weird walking gait but everything is done in step uh with one another and uh we're playing the video right now of the ceremonial uh first puck drop so they wanted to 
uh, connect the uh, Parasport Games in with some of the, the sponsors and also uh, Ontario Tech University and the local university. So they had a, a team from uh, the university out who was working with Spot to help uh, really kind of showcase technology, innovation, and, and raise the profile of both. It's an opportunity to uh, to raise the profile of the uh, technology available, but also raise the profile for the Ontario Parasport Games. Very cool. Well, Alex, you want to pick up a little bit on that spot conversation in the roundtable in about an hour's time on the show. But for now, we say see you later. Thanks for this, Alex. Yeah, thank you, Dave. That's Alex Smythe. To learn more about the games, you can visit durhamregion2023.ca. That's durhamregion2023.ca. Coming up next, the Canada Disability Benefit continues to work its way through the legislative process. Megan Gilmore will have an update. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown. The House of Commons unanimously passed Bill C-22 last week. This allows the government to create a national disability benefit. The law is currently at the Senate and is likely to get a second reading in the upper chamber today. Accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore is here to talk about reaction to the news and what happens next. Hey, good morning, Megan. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well. Megan, how would you describe the general reaction to this most recent development? Sure. So I think uh, Michael Prince, who's a social policy professor at the University of Victoria, put it well. He described it as people are clapping, but there's not a standing ovation yet. And that's because, uh, really, as you said, the House of Commons has, has passed this bill. It's not a law yet, just a bill. Third reading. We're now in the Senate. And um, there's two main things that are on people's minds right now. And that is that people want this passed quickly, but they also want people with disabilities to be involved in the consultation around what this benefit will look like and that how it happens in the regulations. So the version of the bill that passed third reading last week does include the amendment that people with disabilities be involved in the consultation and the design of these regulations. So these two things in tension. Now we want this quickly, but we also want to be cons consulted and be involved. You spoke to Minister Carla Qualtro, the Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Disability Inclusion about the consultation process mm -hmm. and the regulations. What did she tell you about the consultation process? Sure, so what she did uh, tell me very clearly is that they're not starting from, from zero. Uh, that there's been some pre-consultations, there's been roundtables. Like, we've been talking about this benefit since September 2020 when it was first announced by then uh, Governor General Julie Payette. So, like, there's been a, a bit of momentum um, around this. Um, and she did mention that, like, the government is open to suggestions about what this next formal consultation process could look like. So whether that's more roundtables, or like in-person consultations that are open to the public and aren't by invitation only, if there's a chance for people to give written submissions, that sort of thing. So the desire is for there to be wide consultation. We don't really know what that's going to look like at the moment. What did Minister Coulter have to say in terms of an update on the regulations? Sure. Um, so obviously, um, regulations cannot be made until the bill passes the Senate, and then it goes back to the House of Commons, passed there again, it's declared law, receives royal assent. Okay, so we still have some stuff we need to do before we get 
to the regulations, and we don't know what's going to happen in the Senate, if they're going to ask for more amendments, that sort of thing. Um, the minister did say that the vast majority of the regulations need to be in place before people can actually receive the money of the benefit. And she did point out that with any income support program, like take old age security or guaranteed income supplement, which this um, benefit is to be modeled after, there are hundreds, in some cases, thousands of regulations that go into how these benefits work. But she did mention that many of these regulations are very cookie cutter and they're not very controversial. But the main regulations that have everybody, um, the ones that people are really paying attention to for this are eligibility. So who will be eligible for this benefit? The amount, so how much will this uh, benefit be? And how will this federal benefit interact with existing provincial and territorial disability support programs? One of the critiques of this whole process is that the benefit is leaving important details to regulation. Are yeah. there any benefits to the actual regulatory process? Right. So when they, furthering that critique, one of the reasons why people will critique the regulatory process is that regulations can be passed more quickly. So there is a concern that because it happens quicker, there's less public scrutiny. We don't know what the government's putting in those regulations, right? Um, and people have concerns that the government may not be doing everything and the regulations that people with disabilities want. So again, uh, Michael Prince, who I mentioned earlier, he's a professor of social policy at the University of Victoria, and he's also a member of the Minister, Minister Cultural's Disability Advisor Group. He and I were talking about the regulations, and he explained what we should expect to see in the first few years of this benefit and why the regulatory process may sometimes be a good thing. And here's that clip. The details are going to have to be worked out, and they have to be in the regulations. Uh, that's not to say that later on, once the the program is running, you could you could amend the bill uh, or the law later. And if you wanted to put some additional details uh, later, the advantage of regulations is that if you, as you're learning how the program works and doesn't work, or how it gets interpreted by different provincial governments and their officials and you go oh well that's not what we meant or oh we didn't think about that uh you can change the regulations much faster than you can change legislation so in the first year or two i expect there'll be a lot of learning mm. uh, there might even be a bit of trial by error a little growing pains again we should expect that this is a new program being inserted into a very complicated environment of programs and benefits and the way it interacts not only with other income programs, but with, with other services and supports. Megan, Michael Prince brought up the provincial and territorial support program side of this. What did Minister Qualtra have to say about the progress of getting agreements with the provinces and territories? So the government technically cannot enter into formal agreements with provinces and territories about this benefit until the law is passed that would create the benefit. Uh, but she did say that she is regularly discussing this benefit with her provincial and territorial counterparts. So those would be the ministers who are responsible for social assistance and disability supports. She did tell me that it is her preference that all provinces and territories sign on and then after that, we start giving the benefit to others. But it's hard to say. Like, we don't know how this is all going to go down. Um, but we did discuss there is a, uh, a concern out there that provinces and territories will reduce their benefits because they know that this new pro federal program is in the works. And here's, how, here's a clip of that part of the interview of how she responded to that. 
One of the concerns that you'll hear when people talk about this is the concern that provinces and territories will, will say, like, oh, we don't need to increase our programs or increase our benefits because the feds are going to come in and they're going to do this. So we don't have to improve our programs. Yeah. It, the, that, can that you? Worries me. That worries me. And, um, and, you know, again, it speaks to how quickly we need to get this locked in. Because so, we need to set the rate. Sorry, I didn't even wait for your question. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's, um, so like, can you make it part of your agreements with them that like, you cannot reduce from your current rate because of this benefit? Like, Can you make that an official like, agreement? Um, I think, I think again, more likely they would have to agree to that. I don't think I could impose that on them, but I could certainly... Um, have a, a conversation where they would have to agree to at least not um, decrease what they currently have, right? I mean, I couldn't, uh, you know, and, and that's a conversation we're definitely having, right? And they know they know my very strong feelings on this, um, but it goes to everything. It goes to whether it's directly a province um, choosing to lower their income support, or all of a sudden we don't give out bus passes anymore because you get more money from the feds. Like I'm so mindful of this and we've got a very um, robust inventory about what is currently being offered. And if we see any trends to that effect, I will be on the phone and we will be, uh, I will ask the prime minister to talk to Prim. Like we'll be on this. Another concern being raised is, is that seniors don't qualify for this benefit. What did the minister have to say about that? Right. So she did tell me that at this moment, that's not the intention of this benefit itself. But here's a clip of how she explained that further to me. Listen, I, I, I'm the first to say nothing is off the table, but um, certainly the point of this was to put, you know, to fill the gap between CCB, kind of child benefit, the disability piece, which ends at 18, and OASGIS, which starts at 65. So at first blush, this is what this, this benefit will be, kind of the 19 to 64-year-old crowd. Um, what I actually wonder, and I've heard others talk about, is a need to have a different conversation about adding a supplement, a disability-type supplement, to either old age security or GIS, like we have for Canada Child Benefit. So um, no, I'm not sure where the best way to address poverty levels for seniors is, but I think it's a really important conversation to have. What are some of the other concerns that people are expressing with the bill as it currently stands? Sure. So um, you'll see right now different discussion papers coming out from different advocacy organizations saying what they think needs to happen to make this bill stronger. So Arch Disability Law Center in Toronto, they put together a good discussion paper uh, that was out last week to help guide people's discussion. They mentioned several things, some of which we've already talked about, but other ones uh, they mentioned is uh, whether or not private insurance companies will be able to claw back their benefits mm. because of a federal benefit. So we spent a lot of time talking about provincial and territory, uh, territorial disability support programs, but what about private insurance? How does it inter interact with that? Um, there's a need for a specified appeal process. What happens if somebody is denied access to the national benefit? Uh, that needs to be spelled out more. And then uh, points about strengthening the language of this bill to clearly say that the government must deliver this benefit when it's passed. And to, to be clear, like in my interviews with Minister Walter, she's given every impression and been very clear that she believes that the government needs to actually deliver this benefit if a new legislation gets passed. But we are in a minority government situation. And even if we weren't, 
We understand that this current government will not last forever. So how do you structure this legislation so that people with disabilities will actually have to get this this benefit regardless of who's in power? Mm, that's one of the ultimate questions of all policy in democracy. It all depends on what the other side wants to do in an election campaign. It's almost like that question needs to be asked explicitly of other politicians. Uh, Megan, uh, there's been an update on medical assistance in dying. That's another beat mm -hmm. that you've been on top of quite a bit over the course of the last few years. How does that update on MAID influence and relate to the conversation about this benefit? Sure. So as has been pointed out by members of parliament and by different advocates for this benefit, those two issues have become intertwined in Canada. So it's um, very often when you're discussing the national disability benefit, people will bring up MAID. So when I was talking to Michelle Hewitt last week, who is one of the national directors of Disability Without Poverty, uh, she mentioned like she's still hearing stories about disabled Canadians um, applying for MAID uh, because of poverty. And as an organization, Disability Without Poverty is very like, concerned about this and concerned about like fighting the expansion uh, of MAID even after this benefit hopefully get, gets made. So Last week, two things happened in the House of Commons about MAID, and they do coincide with the passing of this legislation, passing it through the House, um, happened on the same day, essentially. So first, uh, the government introduced legislation to delay the, exp the expansion of MAID solely for the purpose of mental illness until March 17th. 2024. So that uh, that expansion was supposed to happen next month. Um, it, they, the government has now given themselves another year uh, before this happens. And secondly, during the debate about Bill 20, Bill C-22, uh, 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 during the final debates about the disability benefit, a member of parliament, member of the Bloc Québécois, stood up and responded to these stories of people applying for MAID out of poverty and asked, like, where is this data coming from? Where, where are people hearing this? Where are the facts on this? And I asked uh, Minister Qualtrough for her response to that MP's question and, and their remarks on that. And here's a clip of her response to this. I don't have parliamentary language to respond to it, but I think it's despicable. And I think it's... Um... It's it's so disrespectful. I'm getting goosebumps kind of trying to find a word that doesn't have um, profanity in it. Um, listen, I believe people. Fundamentally, I believe that when someone says a decision was motivated by a socioeconomic factor like poverty, that, that it was. There's no reason why somebody would ever say it wasn't. And for anybody to suggest that, that that's not the case is completely unacceptable. Complete. And I, I firmly believe that there are people who, whose motivations, whose reasons do include socioeconomic reasons. And I, I, it keeps me awake at night. So just a further update on that and a reminder, the House of Commons and Senate uh, Joint Committee report on MAID is due February 17th. And it will, it is supposed to include a section about how Canadians with disabilities are being impacted by medical assistance and dying in this country. Uh, we don't know what the report is going to say. We don't know what recommendations might be made in it, but we will be following that when it comes out again, February 17th. That's the big day. Megan, thank you for this. You're welcome. Have a good rest of the show. Thank you. That's accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gilmore, M E A G A N G I L L M O R E, at Megan Gilmore 
on Twitter. Coming up next, community reporter Dorothy McNaughton will tell you what you need to know about an accessibility. Oh my goodness, AODA review. I always mess this one up. Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act review. Acronyms are the enemy of broadcasting. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. A review of the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act is underway. Here to tell you more about it is community reporter Dorothy McNaughton in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Hey, good morning, Dorothy. Good morning, Dave. Dorothy, this is an important review. What is being considered? Well, with all of the reviews in the past and with this one as well, um, what they want people to do... um, beforehand and provide them feedback about is um, how effective is the legislation, how effective is the AODA itself and the regulations, um, how could it be improved. They, they even asked the question um, on the website, uh, will Ontario be accessible by 2025? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what my answer to that is, and everybody I know would answer the same thing, no. <laughs> Um, but they also want um, sort of your lived experiences and, and why you think um, certain things about the legislation should be different in order to make the lives of people with disabilities better. Because certainly there are things that need to be improved. Um, those have been pointed out for years, including during the last review by David Onley. Mm. David only made recommendations that have yet to be implemented. What should people do to push the government to get moving with those recommendations? Well, I think um, responding to this review, uh, I don't know how long the consultation will be open because I have sent two emails in the past four months asking um, when will the end of this review happen and I still haven't received a response. Um, that they're, they're, the information on that website is not easy to find. So it's called the fourth AODA review. And if you want to Google that, that, that should take you right to the site. Well, they don't even talk about this review on the government's own Ministry of uh, Seniors and Accessibilities website. So I, people need to get involved and they need to contact the ministry or go to this a website and and tell the government how the the act and the regulation um, needs to be changed in order to meet our needs because lots of things lots of good things have happened since the legislation was implemented but there's a long way to go mm. and the only way they're going to understand how things need to be changed is if people with disabilities get back to the government and say, here's what you need to do. And one of the big ones that David Lepofsky is always pointing out is lack of enforcement. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, well, if people are curious, you mentioned they can Google it. They can also go straight to yes. aodareview4.com, aodareview4.com. Dorothy, we could be here all day if we went into all your thoughts and feelings about the current state of the AODA, but what are some of the key points that you would drive home if you wrote into the government on this front? Well, actually, I'm in the process of writing to the government, and uh, and the first my first point is enforcement, as I mentioned. Um, the current enforcement is like a slap on the wrist, and it only applies to organizations that that don't send in uh, a report about what they're doing, and therefore the government assumes that they're not doing anything, and they send out inspectors. That's all laid out in the AODA itself. Um, but the the fines I've looked at, they're they're very minimal, two thousand dollars, four thousand dollars, whatever. They can uh, charge much bigger fines, and they're not. So that's one thing. The other thing is how these organizations report. They they fill out a checklist. They go check 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 check. We're doing everything we're supposed mm. to be doing, but there's no follow up. You know how does the government know they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing? You don't. And and when people with disabilities run into barriers that shouldn't be there. Um, there's no mechanism for us to be able to let the government know. There, it's not a complaints-based process. We're supposed to work things out with the organization where the barriers are, but that many times that does not work because they cannot see they are at fault, and mm -hmm. they try to lay the fault on the person with a disability. Yeah, if you think about something like fire code, for example, mm -hmm. fire code is something that is investigated proactively. You don't wait for a deadly fire to say, ooh, they didn't quite meet the fire code. So the AODA should be looked at very much like the fire code. There needs to be audits and proactive work being done. Exactly. Yeah, very good point. Uh, Dorothy, I'm going to give that website one more time for folks, aodareview4.com, aodareview4.com. But if you didn't get that one written down fast enough, of course, it will be up on our blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. Dorothy, let's turn on to something a little bit more fun. Every year, you tell me about the Busu Festival, and this year is a special anniversary of Busu. It's uh, six... Oh, sorry, 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 Busu, Bonsu. Oh my good. Oh, I like I like my branding more. Uh, Bonsu, sixty years of Bonsu. What makes what makes this winter festival so special? Well, I mean, you've heard it many times. It's post-COVID, so it's sort of back to being able to have gatherings, whether outside or in. Um, the last few years, uh, they really had very little going on. Uh, some of it was virtual. Most of it was virtual. Um, and so it's it's a return to things like the bum slides for kids. Oh, I mean, yeah. I used to take my yeah. kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the bum slides are a huge a success. And then they, they at the end, they always have the polar bear dip in the St. Mary's River. Um, Hard pass. Uh, so lots of those things are going on. And uh, But I find uh, being a senior and, you know, I don't mind the cold. I, I, I enjoy winter. Uh, you know, I think we sort of have to if we're Canadian. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I tried to sort of highlight events that are that offer sort of inside um, activities as well. Um, the one I'm going to is this Wednesday night. It's at the Shingwalk 
um, Kinumagigamig. I'm not sure if that I, I pronounced that correctly. It's the new Shingwak University that I highlighted before when they had doors open. Um, they're doing a, a person is doing feather wrapping, which sounds intriguing, and they have um, an indigenous ingenuity exhibit. So I'm anxious to have a look at that. Um, and and you don't have to have a Bonsu button for that event. You can pay $5 at the door or buy a Bonsu button at various places in the suit for $10. Um, and that covers en entry fee to most of the events. Um, so that's one. And another one is a blues uh, concert um, down at the machine shop. And the cost is relatively reasonable. It's $35. Um, it's the Gilles Andre, sorry, Andre Bisson Band. It's blues. Um, that sounds really good. And another one is um, <laughs> at the Old Stone House, which, you know, I love that place and, mm -hmm. and the activities mm -hmm. that they have. It's it's a great historical site. So they're, they're doing um, something called soup, snowshoes, and s'mores. <laughs> <laughs> so the hot soup, well, it's kind of obvious what you need that for. And they have snowshoes you can use right there on the property. It's not very big, but you can go stomping around in the snow and have fun. <laughs> and then uh, have, have soup and s'mores. Uh, and so that sounds like fun too. <laughs> Bonsu.on.ca, B O N. SOO.ON.CA. Maybe we'll do uh, the Boosu at Halloween time. That's what we'll use. That's what is my branding for the uh, Boosu. And this one's uh, only a couple days left in the Winter Carnival until uh, February the 11th, is until this one runs. So, Bonsu.ON.CA with a couple events uh, between now and the end of the week to uh, take in. Dorothy, before we say goodbye, you always want to offer up a mm -hmm. reminder about the Northern Ontario and Rural Get Together with Technology Group. Who's this month's guest speaker? Um, it's Elmer Thiessen from out west, and he's doing um, apps, uh, because we discussed this at our last meeting, sorry, I should give the date, it's Tuesday, February 21st at 7pm Eastern, 4pm Pacific, um, so he's going to talk about how to move apps around on home pages, um, how to make folders, and how to get an additional menu on any app you have, how, how to use the app library, and how to move apps from the library back to your home pages. So he's got a lot of expertise in this area. And um, like I said, we, we always look at what topic people need help on. And that was something that came up. So I'm looking forward to that one. Um, and if we have time, we'll t touch on any new apps, because as you know, they're always adding more, and it's really hard to keep up with what's out there. <laughs> there's just so much stuff in that app store. So, yeah, there's yeah. always some neat stuff uh, sure. being dropped there. So, gttprogram at gmail.com, gttprogram at gmail.com. Like Dorothy said, February the 21st, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And when you do send an email to a gttprogram at gmail.com, you can say, hey, Kim, because it's Kim Kilpatrick, who's your uh, contact point on that one. Hey, Dorothy, all the best to you. Enjoy the rest of the Bonsu, and uh, we'll talk to you in a few weeks. You bet. Thanks a lot, Dave. That is Dorothy McNaughton, community reporter in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. One more reminder on the blog is ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. Coming up after the break, it's the regional news update, and Brock Richardson stops by for a sports chat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.